When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose, and joining me for The Bigger Picture is Mike Indian, political commentator, author of the Groucho Tennessee blog. Now, as this is our final chat of the year, and as we're recording it a little bit earlier, our events seem at least in the UK, somewhat in a state of flux. We're going to reflect back on the air and we're going to, I mean, a little like um, Christmas Carol, I suppose, we're going to do it through the, the looking at three different politicians with their actions and fortunes throughout the year. And we're going to start um, with uh, Angela Merkel, who departs, I, well, I say departs from the world stage. I suspect she, we may, may still hear of her occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can call me Jacob Marley for this uh, <laughs> this session. So I think we're going to look at start with the ghost of Christmas past, as it were. The, the, the now former Chancellor of Germany, arguably the most impactful world leader of modern times, certainly I think of the 21st century, and certainly one who will be remembered um, not just for uh, her longevity, but also for her calm temper and comparative popularity as well when she uh, left office earlier this month. So Angela Merkel, uh, her year has been an unusual one. She has spent her final uh, term as Chancellor, the final year of her final term of Chancellor, overseeing uh, Germany's response to the pandemic and a troubled succession within her own party, the CDU, and its uh, sister uh, organisation, the CSU, as well. To sum up, Merkel's legacy is a complicated one because she has been around, to give you a perspective, I, I was still in, I was in sixth form college when Angela Merkel became <laughs> right. uh, Chancellor for the first time, and she has been through more comparative things than most people. One of the things that I think it's important to remember about Angela Merkel from the start is that she has managed to navigate a vast change in not just the her own domestic political stage through successive governments and partnerships, mainly with her main opposition party, but she's also worked with um, other parties as well, remaining chancellor throughout, but also at home in terms of the significant uh, reforms that she's brought in and considerable mistakes as well that some people will argue that she's, she's contributed to. But also internationally on a European stage, she's had to cope with the migrant crisis, the Eurozone crisis, and of course the UK's departure from the EU. I put that slightly further, yes. but she's been a presence throughout. But also she's been a known quantity as well, which has been something of unusual... Um, stature for, for world leaders in the last uh, decade or so, given the fact that in the same time, the UK has had about four or five different prime ministers, none of whom have lasted as long as even yes. Tony Blair, who was uh, overlapping with Mrs. Merkel a bit, was only there for 10 years. She's done now 16 years as German Chancellor. And it's quite telling, actually, that in looking back, but also looking forward, that the 
group that was uh, elected to replace her was Germany's first ever so-called traffic light coalition between the uh, the other main party, the Social Democrats under Olaf Scholz, the Free Market Liberals, and the Green Party, as well. So Angela Merkel's left this arguably this void. I think now this isn't to say that Germany's new government isn't going to move with the times. There have been occasions where Angela Merkel has taken decisions that we have certainly heard about. Um, For example, we could talk about the Syrians arriving in Germany. Uh, Germany has opened up its borders a lot of times to the the new uh, arrivals in Europe when other countries might not have done this. And Miss Merkel's asylum policy was uh, known as wir schaffen das, or we can manage this. It's never been spoken, but it's idea is that that migrants who arrived in southern Europe could come and seek asylum in Germany, where if you see see that in comparison to what's happening here in the UK today, with the focus on the migrant boats and the response from the Home Secretary Priti Patel to toughening up routes for asylum, and you realise that comparatively how few asylum seekers the UK takes compared to, say, our European counterparts, certainly compared to Germany, where there is a very well enmeshed uh, Turkish community as well. There's a lot of lessons to learn there, I think, from that particular part of Mrs Merkel's time in office. She's also, I think, her style will also be missed as well, because she's, I think she's arguably lasted because she's not showy, she's not flash. There have been plenty of people who have made... um, more of an impact when they came mm. in. Um, she pretty much encompassed the entire presidency of Barack Obama, for example, who she saw come in as this bright young thing and then fade out again with some considerable accomplishments to his name. But she's also had to deal with, and this is probably the most re- relief, I think, for those of us who've been looking around the world at the growth of demagogism and populism, even within particularly far-right populism, even within countries like America, the UK, Japan, uh, certainly in countries that are more authoritarian in their outlook, like Russia and China. Germany has been this bulwark under Angela Merkel's leadership of quite steady multi-party government uh, with this continuous figure at the top. That isn't to say that Mrs Merkel hasn't wasn't capable of a you know some reactionary moves all politicians are you could argue Mm. that her biggest mistake for example it was the closure of germany's nuclear plants and her party's advocacy for the Nord Stream 2 uh gas pipeline it's also meant germany moving into the uh, net zero era has been uh more reliant on burning coal now obviously angela merkel had felt she had good reasons to do that in the react in the response to the yeah. Fukushima plant disaster. Uh, at the time, Germany was operating about 19 nuclear plants as well, about a quarter of the country's electricity. Um, but I think if you were faced with that, she used to work in science herself. She has got a background in physics. I think she she's a trained scientist. So she knew she took a, a decision in that as well. And if you look at comparison between um, Mrs. Merkel's predecessor, Gerhard Schroeder, who now is actually the leading uh, lobbyist for a major international uh, Russian gas company mm. as well. There have been, there, there is some, some argue, there's an interesting article in the Atlantic magazine that I'd really recommend people having a look at. Um, 
which I think does a lot to try and state that she did, Angela Merkel did try and ride through on some of the labour market reforms that Schroeder uh, had pushed through before he left office in 2005. But bear in mind that Angela Merkel's peak disapproval numbers were only about 43%. That is an incredible feat for a chancellor who has undoubtedly left an incredible mark on her country. There are still big challenges for Germany looking to the future. They have to do a massive modernization of their work infrastructure. About a quarter of businesses in Germany, for example, still use fax machines as well, with coal being Germany's top power source and wind only ranking second. This has been a big move, seeing the Greens go into government as well. Germany's also been buying more natural gas, particularly imported from Russia, and two of the parties in the new coalition are against the Nord Stream 2 um, pipeline that's going into um, Germany from Russia. It's built, but it hasn't yet been commissioned. So in the context of things, how are we to assess Angela Merkel's departure from the stage? Well, I, I would urge anybody who has spent the last few years watching, say, Donald Trump's no-show at the inauguration of Joe Biden, who has spent time watching uh, in the last few years, certainly David Cameron, then Theresa May, and now Boris Johnson struggling to leave, uh, enter and leave power, largely at the behest of their own party or because they've, they've got themselves into a position internally where they cannot follow. The handover of power in Germany was, Angela Merkel has arguably gone at the time of her own choosing, which is a feat that is almost unmatched mm. in politics. And her simple ceremony for leaving was simply her being handed a bunch of flowers by her successor, giving him a fist bump, getting into a car and driving off. And for mo given the old maxim that most political careers end in failure, it's hard to argue that in the case of Mrs. Merkel. And I, I think you're right. I think she still has a great deal to contribute. I think she'll, she has a, she'll have a powerful voice on the world stage. But it's interesting, actually, how little we actually heard from her when she was German leader. She was a constant presence working in the background consistently, reliably. And as I said, a known quantity at the heart of Europe's biggest economy and unarguably during a time when the so-called free nations of the world were flirting with some quite dangerous ideas, particularly mm. America, Angela Merkel stood for a kind of steady belief in multilateralism, uh, free market economics, and many of the things that people still would like to see a return to. And that is something that looking to the past is a legacy worth considering. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Let us pause for breath before we uh, you, as Marley, invoke the second of our. Well, I'm, I think Ghost is pushing it a little bit too too far. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio. I'm in conversation with Mike Indian, political commentator, of course, author of the Groucho Tennessee blog. It's our last conversation of the year. So we're, we're looking at the uh, the actions and the fortunes of three politicians. One politician we've just been discussing, Angela Merkel, uh, incredibly uh, long career as Chancellor of Germany and emerged essentially with her reputation intact, if not in, enhanced over the time. Um, let's now talk about a politician who's... Um, Time at the top has been rather shorter, but um, where possibly um, people's opinion not uh, quite as rosy as it might have been just a few months ago. 
Yes, so the ghost of Christmas present is, of course, the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And I have to say, in terms of appearances of the ghosts, in terms of this is the, the hairiest and jolliest of the, of the three in Dickens's classic tale. Yes. This probably suits Mr. Johnson arguably the best. Um, the, the good time guy, the one who believes in living in the moment, somebody who people could obviously have a bit of a laugh for, but not really, I would say, a man for longevity a man for serious times and Boris Johnson has for a man who has built his reputation not just as a um, as a politician but as a journalist and, a, and, a, and arguably a you know a very one of the most famous people in the country as well certainly the most famous politician in Britain um, someone who has a, a recognizable brand and is well known as uh, on a sort of light-hearted slightly fun happy-go-lucky persona at times flirting with slightly risque ideas in the same way I'd argue that people like Jeremy Clarkson push the same sort of appeal for sort of top sort of the, 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 the peak era of top gear I would argue slightly people go oh that's just Jeremy do you mean Jeremy it's just Boris being Boris the difference is is that Jeremy Clarkson eventually came to have some form of um uh, sanction for his actions uh, it took a while but it did catch up with him and I think the same is arguably happening to Boris Johnson now the prime minister has benefited from a considerable amount of goodwill and trust and uh, of course what we can't take away from him is that he has he has he's not just he hasn't just been incredibly popular he's also a proven election winner which for the conservative party post Blair it's understandable why they gravitated to him and if you were talking about Boris Johnson's legacy and some people already are at the moment you cite that easily the uh, general election of 2019 and delivery of the largest majority his party had had in nearly 30 years yeah. effectively since margaret thatcher's 1987 general election triumph even david cameron he managed a small overall majority at a time and also he was able to create several eye-catching phrases and he was also prime he's been prime minister during one of the defining events of this era the coronavirus pandemic something his government has taken measures that have touched everyone's lives some arguably for the worse um a few for the better you could say but he's also posed a lot of interesting questions about conservatism and the future role of the state taking the tories on a role whether down a path which they have become arguably more interested in uh, state intervention, which mm. is something that began to happen under Theresa May. The thing with Boris is that none of this has happened deliberately. It's entirely by accident. And some people could say, well, fair enough. Some people are born for greatness. Other people have greatness thrust upon them. Others seek it. Boris Johnson was the one who wanted to sort greatness, but he never wanted, he never knew what he wanted to do with it, Simon. And I think that's mm. really showing now now, there are there are some wonderful books I can commend if people are looking for Christmas presents, and I'm not paid by Dawson, but they're a couple by Steve Richards, um, who's who's an excellent commentator and journalist, about uh, firstly about the prime ministers uh, from Harold Wilson through to, to Boris Johnson, uh, looking at their various qualities, but also the prime ministers we never had as well. And you strikes that there are a lot of there have been a lot of weighty political figures in the recent past in the UK, certainly in the post-war period. Um, Richards talks a lot in the books about Harold Wilson's government in the 1970s. But I grew up with the Blair administration as my dominant thing. So 
kind of as a parallel with the Wilson era, Labour being a party of government was something that we're used to. But as a result, I think we've taken the focus off what the modern Conservative Party under Boris Johnson actually is. And it's it's actually quite it's actually quite insubstantial. It's quite chaotic. There isn't really anything there as far as Johnson has done since he became prime minister that you could really say has made a lasting impact for the better. Now, some people might point to Brexit. Um, when we are recording this, we've just had the resignation of the man who helped him get the deal over the line. None of that is set in stone yet as well. Now, the, the reason that Boris Johnson is very much the ghost of Christmas present in this little analogy we're playing out here is that he is capable of thinking through the consequences of his actions. He isn't capable of seeing beyond simple decisions. And unfortunately, at the moment, arguably more than any prime minister since um, since Margaret Thatcher, he has to think carefully about what he does now because the measures of the pandemic will have a lasting impact on the country. First of all, he's taken the UK out of the, uh, the European Union, which even the Institute for Fiscal Studies, the non-political think tank, uh, says we'll have a permanent 4% cut to our gross domestic produce. We've redefined our trading relationship with our major partner. Um, at the same time, we have a slightly troubled relationship with America as well. We're living in a world where the UK is still arguably one of the big economies, but that's a position that we could lose very, very swiftly. Public services are arguably underfunded, and the government has introduced measures that are it's now itself being forced to unpick. And this is effectively like Gordon Brown going back and repealing things like the national minimum wage at the end of the Labour's time in office, something that was them to be so totemic. So Johnson, Johnson is leading a tired government and he himself is looking increasingly worn out and ragged around the edges. This, for example, his numerous failings, I would argue now far outweigh his benefits his benefits so anyone could be clear is that he has a certain unique charm i would say he's certainly got an entertaining way of presenting himself his way of um, reaching certain people and using his brand to connect with them is is almost unique in its potency and certainly i can't think of a prime minister since tony blair who's arguably had that sort of connection yeah. with certain sections of the electorate certainly to deliver that election victory and to be able to, to, to hit upon compelling sound bites. Boris Johnson has that unparalleled ability. But when he's not campaigning, when he's actually running things, whether it's London's transport network or the country as it's been or the foreign office, there have been substantial glaring errors. Nazanin Zagari-Ratcliffe strikes me that Boris Johnson wasn't briefed correctly and that arguably did contribute to that poor woman's um, mm -hmm. current situation and her husband is still having hunger strikes outside Downing Street today. Johnson's, I think the most telling response though for Johnson has been that the fact that we are two years into this government now and I said to you at the time I was concerned about the length of the manifesto on which he was elected, he stuck to it and things like the levelling up agenda are due to be coming out in the new year. There is no new money for this as well. There's been a major new tax increase for the NHS, it's built for social care, but that isn't going to be coming through for a while either. It's not as if Johnson hasn't faced big questions, but when Labour were in office in 1997, tricky to 2001, they recognised the need 
for funding and then Blair particularly hit upon what he thought was an idea for public service reform whilst Gordon Brown made considerable efforts to use the power of the Treasury to go through. Now we can argue that measures like furlough have been effective and have been incredibly um, clever in terms of preventing long-term scarring to the economy but at the same time Johnson's talk about say long-term adult skills reform haven't materialized the chancellor is as we are talking at the moment we may or may not be hearing you may may or may not know dear listener what the current state of restrictions is after christmas certainly hospitality industries have taken a hit there services is the single biggest sector of the uk economy of that financial services is the most important and we didn't get a brexit deal that granted equivalence on that most of the details were kicked into the long grass so there is still a potential for johnson's get brexit done slogan to unravel before the next election and then there has been the prime minister's own internal conduct his attitude to being to checks and balances to measures that are designed to keep him this began with the prorogation parliament arguably his describing of mps and you know the government versus the people sorry the government of the people versus parliament as it were which is utterly disingenuous given parliament is the elected body of the british people this is the only nationally elected body in mm. this country. The government is not. The government is chosen from parliament. So the prime minister put it against that. This government of the people only represented at best 44% of the uh, electorate, or perhaps the 52% in the referendum. At best, maybe one in 40% of the people overall that, that, that it could claim to speak for in mm. terms of its where it was coming from. And I speak from that broadly in terms of Brexit and those people who vote conservative. This is why we have a, a parliament. This is why we have elected representatives to check the government. But the Prime Minister's own conduct has been starting with Dominic Cummings and running all the way through to the point in time at the end of 2021. We've seen the Prime Minister's tended to believe that he's above the rules go on in terms of not just the Owen Patterson affair recently, but also this these, these Christmas parties, which I honestly believe are going to dispel the end for Boris Johnson, because at some point, people are quite prepared to tolerate him sleeping around. They're quite prepared to have him, you know, if, 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 it's, if it's his um, cabinet ministers who are messing up, or that Boris is basically sound. There's a lot he can get away with. But unfortunately, if the people around him and his government is consistently seen to be flouting rules, British people have a very, I think, fairness is a very yeah, loosely yes. defined but ubiquitous term in British politics. And the Johnson government has persistently, persistently done things that can be perceived to be unfair at a time when other people were demanded to make massive sacrifices. And that right, well, fairness will get hmm. Johnson in the end. We'll have to move on in a moment. So this very, very brief. And, I, and, and Theresa May, with... with um, a hung parliament managed to cling on for quite a long time. I mean, if you're making a prediction for 2022, I mean, how long do you think Boris will be able to cling on? Do you do you foresee foresee him being prime minister at the end of next year? I, I'm always worried about making predictions, but at the moment I, I have I say it's about 50-50 whether Boris Johnson would make it to the end of next year or not. And the crucial thing is is that the, the Conservative he's, he's lost that quality that's largely made him immune mm. from criticism for his own MPs, which is winning elections. They have the Conservative Party's lost two by-elections. And the poll lead over Labour has evaporated now. So even if Labour and the Tories are neck and neck in the polls, in a hung parliament, the Tories won't get into power again. So Johnson yeah. can't hang on in that scenario. OK, um, let us again pause for breath for a moment and we'll turn to what I guess must be the ghost of Christmas future. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.
This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with our political commentator, Mike Indian, for the last time this year. So we've looked at Merkel, we've looked at um, Boris Johnson, and we're going to turn now to, to Joe Biden. How do we fit him in into your uh, your analogy, Marley? Well, here's the thing. So maybe we're going, surely you can't choose a 79-year-old man as the ghost of Christmas future. You should be looking perhaps at the new president of Chile, who's the youngest ever. You could be looking at arguably at Keir Starmer. You could look at, you know, some of the young politicians that are around the edge. But the reason Joe Biden is the ghost of Christmas future is because he's somebody who I think has the benefit of a long degree of hindsight in politics, but hasn't been able to really bring that experience to bear in America today and looking forward into the next two, three years, the next decade or so, what happens in the US is going to be very important for what happens around the world. Because we've spoken before about this sort of demagoguery, far-right populism springing up as well. This hasn't gone away. This is still very much a part of America's present, and I would argue very much part of its future as well. Now, Joe Biden did win a year ago a very impressive uh, um, margin of victory over Donald Trump, and he seemed to be coming into it. The future seemed pretty rosy, but going forward, the president has splurged a lot of money, for example, through the Build Back uh, Better Act. He's taken on a very slim majority in the House and a split Senate, meaning he's had to try and use the uh, all the Democratic votes there. He's having trouble, for example, at the moment with Senator Joe Manchin, who said he won't support a major social spending uh, project, and all 50 percent are needed to carry that through. It includes large amounts of social spending, but also climate change as well. But it's the second multi-trillion dollar package Biden has passed this year, so that's going to push America's national debt up even more. Uh, there's an excellent book by the author Lionel Shriver um, about... Uh, the uh, fictional family in the 2030s and onwards about uh, American sovereign debt becoming so big it can never ever be paid off. Now, increasing funding for government health programs, expanding tax credits for low families, providing government funded universal preschool um, and addressing hundreds of businesses in climate is wise investments for the future as well. They are absolutely this is a very forward thinking piece of legislation by the president, particularly investments in infrastructure, for example, and climate change at this time. But what we haven't seen with Joe Biden, because uh, arguably he's somebody who comes in with a great deal of experience, but unlike Merkel, he hasn't been able to use it and bring it to bear to have the same beneficial effects. Now, you could argue this is partly due to the the, 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 the fractious nature of US politics and the country that he's inherited. But then again, we also have to look at where American influence is almost uh, presidential, which is the, the foreign policy and the unedifying exit from Afghanistan does little to... Uh, dissolve the perception whether or not it's actually reality or not remember perception matters more in politics is that america is in retreat from the world at large and this perception has been around since barack obama donald trump certainly kept it going arguably with america first and joe biden hasn't moved that far away from it we have an america today that is arguably less interested at its lowest point in in terms of interest in the outside world than it has been in a very very long time and we've spoken a lot, I think, before about, you know, I still passionately believe in a multilateral world. I, I don't kid myself that institutions like the European Union, the United Nations and NATO are flawed and need reform. But certainly on an international level, as a bulwark against, say, the expansionist of Putin's Russia, there are troops massing on the borders of Ukraine. 
certainly in terms of Xi Jinping's China, which has, say, set its sights on reclaiming Taiwan and this trend towards authoritarianism, certainly at a time when America itself has had reactionary politics. The presidency of Donald Trump was only, end, only ended less than a year ago. At the start of the year, people tried to storm Congress. Joe Biden needs to use his remaining first term to level things out, because realistically, if he goes in for a second term, he will probably be hampered by speculation over his age. He hasn't shown any signs at the moment of diminished capacity, but realistically, because of his age, people are going to be looking over his shoulder to try and see who will take over from him. And But that also, I think, behoves somebody who has had, it's been in politics for 50 years to say, right, this is what my experience tells me. I am, the, I am the man now who can make a difference for the future. He's still three years away from the next election. He still has time to do considerable, considerable reforms. Certainly, he should do, look to move quickly before the Democrats are going to face a very difficult set of midterms in 2022 and in 2024, which might push the Republicans back into power again. And then he has to find a clear answer to the tricky question of how do, does America see itself? How does it come to terms with being a more multicultural society? How does it come to terms with being a greener society? And how does it come to terms with a society where a large number of people listen to the very hypnotic, powerful language that Donald Trump invoked and said, I like the sound of this. This could be a little bit more about me first. Oh, well, fascinating. Um, I, do you see Trump actually being a candidate again for the Republicans at the next election. I mean, he, there was a, a rally recently, wasn't there, that was rather sparsely attended, I was reading about. Um, so I, Trump's I, popularity waning. I, I think the question is, if, if it is, does Trumpism outlast the man himself? And I think that kind of subversive anti-politics element that Trump pushed wouldn't go away easily. I think it's also arguably taken root in the Republican Party as well. Mm. Whether it finds someone as capable of articulating it as Donald Trump is able to do, he's still comparatively younger. He's, you know, compared to Biden, he's got a few more years on him yet, but he's still mm. um, quite old. I, I would bet against Donald Trump running in 2024, but I, I'm watching the run up to that next election very, very closely because what happens in the world's biggest economy, the so-called bastion of democracy has a big impact on all of our futures. And for that reason, Joe Biden is very much the ghost of Christmas future. Yes. Mike, thank you very much. I've been in conversation with Mike Indian, author of the Groucho Tendency blog, and Mike will be back with more commentary on the world of politics in the new year just remains for us to wish uh, all our listeners a very happy christmas and a, a wonderful let's certainly freer and less fraught new year thank you mike the bigger picture going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day 